Welcome back to the Movie Babble Podcast. We have no Colin today, but we do have the dynamic duo, which is Nick and his five-minute rants. How's it going, Nick? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. How are you, Brennan? <laughs> I'm doing all right, doing all right. Um, I hate to admit it, but I did watch all four Alvin and the Chipmunks movies over the weekend. Uh, don't know why I did it. Did you really? <laughs> I don't know why. Why do you hate yourself that much? <laughs> um, I mean, I was sitting in the backyard. It was nice and sunny, you know, just pull them, bring up my computer, have a drink, and just put those on while I'm not paying attention. There you go. It's great. Well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had to admit it. So now we got that out of the way. The counseling <laughs> session's done. Nick, um, you were back at the movie theaters this weekend. How was that? It was surreal, honestly. I went to... The, I went to the grocery store without a mask this week. Went to the movie theaters. I have no idea what's happening, but it was cool. I saw A Quiet Place 2. Um, great movie to go back to theaters to. Uh, I didn't love the movie. We'll get into that later, I guess. But uh, it's just one of those where I feel like we've had a few instances of people coming back into like the real world and not knowing how to like behave again because this is all so new to us, you know? And... I feel like A Quiet Place was like the perfect movie to like reintroduce a lot of people to theaters because it just like trains you to just stop talking, you know, for two hours and forces you to watch it. So it was actually it was cool. It was a really cool experience. And there was actually a lot of people there with me. But it was it was fun. Yeah. Venturing out into being a real person again. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait. I'm close. I'm right behind you. I'm almost there. So we'll I'll get to the theater soon to see A Quiet Place. Too. Hang in there, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, that, that sounds great. I mean, speaking of theaters, we have seen a great rebound here in uh, box office, and I think we're going to see a pretty decent summer, not a summer that kind of harkens back to normal summers. I don't think we're there yet, probably next year, but this summer nonetheless is going to be an improvement over last summer, no doubt, and it's going to look somewhat normal. Um, obviously, last weekend with the Memorial Day weekend, we had kind of the I'd call it a re-entry into, uh, into the big box office numbers as we had A Quiet Place 2 last weekend open up to $57 million over the four-day, which was pretty nuts. And then Cruella opened up to $26 million over the four-day, which all things considered, apparently they did decent numbers on Disney Plus as well. So they probably had some decent revenue there. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that that's a solid weekend. And then you head into this week, obviously, we had uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Very interesting title. You can tell this franchise is getting a little tired. Um, but we'll get into that as well. Uh, that movie opened up above expectations, which were around 18 to 20, and it opened up to $24 million in first place, despite being on HBO Max free of charge. So I think that model has proven to be decent. Like, you, you've seen Kong v. Godzilla make a ton of money. You've seen Mortal Kombat have a pretty solid open opening weekend. 23, I think, was back in April, $23 million. Then you got this movie coming up above expectations, despite being on HBO Max. So, I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think it's been a good kind of COVID trial run for this uh, sort of thing? Yeah, shout out to Angelina Jolie and Those Who Wish Me Dead, because I feel like that's the only one that hasn't worked for this. I don't, I don't feel like anyone saw that movie, and I haven't either. But, uh, yeah, for the rest of this, it seems like it's really successful, which is kind of cool, because... I feel like at the beginning of this, you had Christopher Nolan saying HBO Max was the worst thing in the history of the world, you know, and a lot of other artists who were probably rightfully so annoyed that their movies were going on streaming to start. But uh, in terms of the business side of it, like it, all that seems to be doing really well. Like I wouldn't, I feel like we, we would have expected the Conjuring 3 to probably drop 
in terms of its opening weekend comparing to Conjuring 2, which is a smash hit. But even still, 24 million down from 40, which was what Conjuring 2 was, with still coming out of Pandemic and also HBO Max, it's, it's I'd say it's a, it's a success, definitely. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, even even then, it opened up to only 3,100 theaters, which is was about 700 shy of what Cruella and A Quiet Place 2 got, right? So it was in less theaters as well, uh, despite all that. And it, it for me, I think this is a success for them. I think they have to be happy with that. Now, obviously, we're not going to see this HBO Max model stay forever, right? I think they look to Disney, and do you think that they feel like they should have put a charge on some of these movies? Do you think they feel regret at all, or what, what's your take? I don't know. I feel like I feel we we even talked about this a little bit before we got on here. Where it was I don't know if who's paying the thirty dollar charge after the first weekend. You know, because the way that works is you pay your thirty dollars and then it's just the movie is on your Disney Plus account for forever, right? So you probably get a lot of people who are really interested in seeing it. You get them for your first weekend, and then after that, it's just kind of I don't know. Does anyone really care? And then. I feel like Disney has also shot themselves in the foot a little bit where they're like, hey, this is we're going to put Mulan on Disney Plus for good for free of charge, like in December in like a few months or whatever. And so I feel like they're kind of when people get that news and they haven't seen it in the first few weeks, they're just going to be like, OK, I'll wait until then, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm not going to pay $30 for Cruella. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the demographic. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I like I like the HBO Max thing. And I think it's it's been successful except for uh, Taylor Sheridan. And those those who wish me dead. So uh, I like I feel like you just got to keep going doing that. I feel like it's worked really well for them. <laughs> um, you know, there are some numbers to sh- to prove that Disney Plus saw success with uh, Cruella on on their service. Um, but I, I agree with you in that it probably is very front loaded, right? Like I got some numbers here that you saw the Disney plus app soar from being out of the top 25 to into the top 10 over the weekend, last weekend. So people were getting it cause they wanted to download Corella for $30. Um, so obviously people did get it and some numbers that I saw very I don't know the science behind it, but a study went out and they said there were about 600,000 uh, Disney Plus accounts that went out and got this thing for 30 bucks, which did, I think, total 18 to 20 million or so at the end of the day. When you think about that, I mean, Corella opened up to 26, combine them, let's say 46. I think that's not a bad run, but as you said, it's probably very front loaded. And you see Corella here second weekend, $11.2 million. That's a 48% drop. I feel like the drop on Disney Plus is like, 70 80 90 percent right i feel like maybe first weekend you're making more profit through the 30 dollar download but everything after that it's probably theaters that are going to get you most of your revenue until this thing becomes free in september i believe so i mean it's it's certainly an interesting dynamic i think i don't know i wonder if hbo is upset that they didn't put some sort of charge on these movies though i i do wonder yeah i i don't know what they're what the correct mode is for it. Maybe it's, maybe I'm more enticed if it's 20 bucks or something like that. I don't really know. I don't even know if the industry's really figured out what the correct charge is for this stuff. And you've even seen it with Disney, Disney plus too, where they have like Luca will be free on Disney plus. Right. And the same thing with soul. So I feel like they're still trying to figure that out as well, but yeah, it's definitely, there's no doubt about it that people are seeing this movie and it's actually probably the most, there's the most conversations about this movie on Twitter and things like that. So it's definitely getting traction, but um, yeah, it's 
if I had to choose one, I think HBO Max is my preferred out of the two choices. But uh, yeah, I th- there's success with both of them, probably. Yeah, I wonder how long HBO is going to do this model because you know they're obviously losing out on some money. They they want to have the yeah. maximum box office return at the theaters. So I think I'd probably guess Dune is the, where they start turning back, maybe in October there. Um, but we'll yeah, see probably. what happens with that. Uh, Quiet Place dropped in its second weekend, 59%, down to $19.5 million. I have a guess that we're probably going to see a lot of movies be very front-loaded here in the pandemic. Or maybe it's just the fact that it had to go up against another horror movie in its second weekend. Maybe that's kind of the issue here. Um, yeah, that's probably something to do with it, yeah. Yeah, and, and the movie did do well Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so it did probably have some of those people that wanted to avoid the weekend crowd, like yourself, I believe you went on a Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Nice Tuesday afternoon for me. It was great. Yeah. Go, go see it in the week, right? It's it, it, it's certainly certainly something. Um, but let's get into talking about these movies. So obviously theaters are shuttered here, but you got to check out A Quiet Place 2 and Conjuring 3. Um, just kind of some initial thoughts about these movies. Uh, what, what's your take here on both of these movies as they kind of, as their franchises kind of continue to grow? Yeah, I guess... We'll start with a quiet place because I feel like that's the the big ticket or the big time winner because that's over well over a hundred million worldwide now. Um, I mean, we're already getting a part three. I think that's already been declared, right? So I guess that shows how part two how successful it's been and how smart it was for Paramount to just chill with this movie for a while and let bring it back to theaters a year later. Because when was this? This was like a March movie, right? It was probably like a week or two right after. COVID came. Yeah, it was the next week. It was the next weekend. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's tough. So, and Paramount, they've sold so many of their movies. Like, like the ill, uh, Colin Collins ill fated The Tomorrow War was a was a Paramount movie, and they sold it to Prime for like two hundred million. So that's probably a good move by them, honestly. But yeah, this was one of the few that they kept because they know that it was probably going to be a good money maker, and um, I can certainly see why people like this movie too because. Um, I don't know how you feel. I'm not like a crazy fan of the first Quiet Place. I think it's really effective and fun, you know, and it's really, I think Krasinski is a really good director. Um, but I feel like the further you get away from it, it's more of like, you're like, wait, you can poke, poke you can poke a few more holes in it. You're like, wait, does this make sense? Why are they not wearing shoes? I feel like that's a bad call. <laughs> shoes don't make a lot of noise. You can still wear shoes and walk around. Why don't they live near the water? Then they can just talk the entire time. It's, there's a lot of like manufacturing of tension in that first movie, you know, and it like stacks up and it's like, maybe that's just my brain noticing weird. Things I hear you. Frustrates I'm me a like fan. That. I like that first one. Yeah. I, I do like it's it. It's good. I don't want to, I don't want to talk it down too much. I think it's a, it's a good movie. It's really, really effective. And, um, I didn't really realize that Krasinski had, had it in him, you know, cause he had directed what, like two Indies before that one or two mm-hmm. Indies. That Hallmark like movie, that. the Haulers. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Still haven't, still haven't seen that. Love one. the Haulers. But, uh, have you actually seen it? I got it for free uh, from the <laughs> library like three years ago. I just was bored. And? Just got it. Final, th- final thoughts? No? Uh, just just a great Hallmark movie, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those ones that like it, 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 uh, it, it kind of guilts you into getting sad at, in certain moments, right? And it, it does work. But it's, okay. it's a Hallmark movie. It's, it's mediocre, but it's, uh, it is what it is. It's a good, I think it was a directorial debut maybe. But uh, yeah. yeah, who's in that? Is Anna Kendrick the lead in that? Yeah, the, Anna Kendrick the, is the female lead. is in there alongside uh, John Krasinski is obviously also oh, a okay. lead in that film, yeah. and uh, you also have 
Margot Martindale, great uh, character actress, Margot Martindale. Cool. Wow. I did not expect us to talk about the hollows <laughs> in the pod today, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, The Quiet, Quiet Place Part 2 uh, is definitely another really good showcase for Krasinski as a director. He does some really cool stuff in here. And I don't want to spoil it too much, obviously, because you haven't seen it, and I'm going to be kind to you. Um, but the, the, the prologue is really cool to this movie. Uh, I think one of the most ingenious parts of the first A Quiet Place is you don't know how this whole apocalypse happened. And that's okay. They show day one at the beginning of A Quiet Place Part Two, and that's all I'll say about it. But it's really effective and really cool. Yeah. Definitely a lot of like Spielberg influences in it. It's really, it's really impressive. Speaking of prologues, I think the first film, the prologue is the best part of the movie. Uh, Probably. And I, would, and I would say the same thing about Part Two as well. I think the prologue is the best part. Yeah. Just kind of harkening back to that first one with the kid, with the son, right? I showed my parents yeah. the first one about a week ago because they had never seen it. And uh, they, they liked the movie. They thought it was good, good tension. They enjoyed it. But it was the first scene. They're like, holy crap, that kid just got snatched up. <laughs> yeah, get- it's, it's an amazing – because that's like – because it's a – this is – weirdly, they're both PG-13. Mm. So it's just, which is also I think is really impressive that Krasinski can build so much tension out of these. And there's – it's not – there's not a lot of ton of gore, you know. It's just creepy monsters running around and then they like snatch people off screen and that's kind of it. But it's still really well done. But yeah, the beginning of that movie is like, wow, anything can happen if they're willing to off this adorable kid in the first 10 minutes. Like, what could happen from here? Um, so yeah, the, the prologue of part two is is kind of the same way, where it's it's really it's really big. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening. Um, it explains a lot of the character dynamics, which you um, see in the second one, because... I guess the big inclusion here is uh, is Killian Murphy is one of the big uh, cast members this time, and you get his backstory, which is really solidly t- told. But um, yeah, the rest of this movie is I feel like I have a lot of the same issues that I did with the first one, where uh, character uh, choices are very bad. The, the not a lot of not a lot of strong decision makers in this team here, and I think it's it's even outside of they're in peril and they're kind of just like making a split decision. I think there's just like it's idiotic like some things that happen in this movie and there's a lot of contrivances to make things happen and go from point a to point b a lot of the time so that part really frustrated me there's one part with uh with a boat uh that's all i'm gonna say but it's it's one of the most it might be one of the most insane things i've seen in a movie in a really long time it's just ridiculous (laughs) but uh the the performances are really good um and the movie interestingly centers on uh millicent simmons this time around so she's the de facto lead character. Yeah. And that was the daughter. I found her to be the best part of the first movie acting wise. So yeah, she's great. And then she's great in the second one too. So in Emily Blunt's like, she's kind of a sad character this whole time. I mean, she's Emily Blunt, so she's doing a good job, but yeah, there's like a few stories going on in Millicent Simmons is, is is the, uh, is the main one. And she's terrific. I think she's awesome. I kind of want to see her in a lot more Mm -hmm. stuff outside of a quiet place. But, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without, spoilers because uh, it's just so many it's the same thing where it's so many nitpicks for me that kind of just stack up and are a little frustrating but um people seem to lot people seem to like it a lot so i guess i'm in i guess i'm in the minority once again i feel like i'm always in the minority on this pod but you know it's fine <laughs> that's all right um yeah so it's it's a really it's another effective movie um it, a lot of tension but um i wasn't a huge fan of the ending honestly it feels like this movie feels like it's 
there's a lot more world building, right? Because it's the second one. It's the sequel. It's got to be bigger and bigger and better in all those different ways we see with the sequels over the years. Sequelitis, um, huh? Yeah, really. There is some sequelitis where it feels like the ending really is just a way to set up for a third movie. Yeah. And there's a li- there's some um, kind of resolution there, but it kind of feels like it's copy and paste from the first one. So it didn't really work a lot on me. It just felt like, all right, we'll see you next time. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh it's there's a lot of cool stuff in it though. I'd like to see because Krasinski wrote this one this time. Yeah, um, he didn't write the last one, so I'd like to see um what he can do when he's just a director mm. kind of because it seems like he does pull a lot from Spielberg and how he builds tension yeah. and how dealing with monsters and also just like high like emotion kind of yeah. thing like family stuff um i would like to because spielberg doesn't write a lot of his movies i'm sure he has influence on a lot of it but i would like to see him go that route more because i feel like he's talented but um he gets like some of the script stuff is just like wait what are we doing here right you know right but um it's it's there's cool stuff in it i mean i'd rec- i guess i recommend it because knowing people will probably like it more than I do. <laughs> um how about <laughs> that's the most tepid recommendation ever <laughs> how about the conjuring three with the devil made me do it there best title of the year thus far awful title really really bad title good movie though um, or what do you what's your take uh, here hmm, <laughs> pretty average very very average movie okay. um well i guess with the title so it's based off of this really i guess it's a famous or infamous court case where um so the there's the character is also in the movie, but Arnie Johnson, uh, he killed some killed this guy and he was put on trial for it and he said he pled innocent or he, he pled not guilty on uh, because of demonic possession. And that was the first time that I think that had happened in the US. So it was coined by the media as the devil made me do it case. Huh. So the title makes sense, yeah. but it's also like no one's going to see your movie because you called it the, the, the devil made me do it. You know, they're like, Oh, it's about the, the Arnie Johnson case. Now I have to go see it. Yeah. You know, it's, like it's just, just call it the conjuring three and move on. It's, it's cheesy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this is kind of a step down of a movie. Honestly, it's, it's a funny cause the best part about this movie as well as the prologue. Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's it opens on this exorcism, which is really well done, and there's like direct like callbacks to the original Exorcist, which are pretty cool. Because um, there's one shot; it's not a spoiler or anything like that. There's one shot where the priest gets out of the cab, and it's like all dark, and it's the light window yeah. at yeah, the top. Yeah. So it's like, all right, it's the poster from the Exorcist. It's cool, really cool. It's a cute, it's a cute little thing. And then the exorcism uh, after that is really well done. So it's like this eight year old kid who's um he's possessed and they're trying to get out of him lorraine and ed are there uh trying to do what they can and the priest is also just like you know saying all of his uh all of his catholic stuff to try to get it out of there um and everything goes to shit and then the um so the sister of the eight-year-olds um the eight-year-old who's possessed his uh, her boyfriend at the last second tells the demon to take him instead so the demon goes into him, and that's Arnie Johnson who goes off and kills people. Okay. So it's kind of a weird thing because, you know, in the first two movies, it's like it's all about like the evil house. Yeah. You know, yep. it's all contained to this family. There's no really outside things okay. going on. More, so like, it's, it's more open. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because like 
all these movies like try to do like the based on the true story thing, yeah. which are like, you know, it's kind of BS, right? You know, it's like they take some kind of like, yeah, oh, this was there was a there was an Annabelle doll, you know, and it looked like Raggedy Ann, but now we made it all creepy. And now there's a demon in it as well, you know, that kind of thing. Well, this time it's like, all right, so we're gonna use this very real like murder case and what like the guy who said that he was possessed by a demon, we're gonna run with that and make it like an earnest like thing. It's kind of it's a weird, it's a weird kind of like moral dilemma thing. Right. It's like, ah, eh, did we really, do we really need to do this? This guy actually like hurt people. This is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the exorcism is the best part of the movie, and also Arnie Johnson, biggest simp ever, <laughs> taking a taking a demon for his girlfriend, not even like not even engaged or anything. No, Just, uh, no James Wan directing this one. He did the first two. Yeah. So that's the that's the other big thing, and I guess we can probably move on after that because there's not really much to talk about in this movie. It's there's there's a demon. They try to figure it out. Context clues, figure it out in the end. Showdown. You kind of you you've seen it, yeah. two Conjuring movies. Yeah. You get the gist, right? And you know the um, the one good thing that's probably good here they shaved twenty minutes off what the Conjuring two was runtime wise. So I mean, if it's a movie that's kind of lesser in quality and it was still one hundred and thirty minutes, it probably would have been a little tough, but. An hour fifty-two. That's a little bit better. Yeah, that's yeah. Because I had never. So weird thing by me is I had seen every other Conjuring universe movie except the two Conjuring movies. So I watched those for the first time this week, and that was fun because those are pretty fun movies. I don't think they're like some people say the first Conjuring is like some horror masterpiece. Yeah. And I think it's a good. I, movie. I don't know. If it's I, a good movie. I think yeah, it's good. I'm not. I'm not there. Like I'm not on that level. But it's really fun. And James Wan, I think, is the reason. You know, because he's just like. The camera's flying all over the place, and it's it's really frenetic, and it adds, like, I think those movies are fun. I don't think they're particularly scary. That kind of, like, jump scare stuff doesn't really work on me, but I think they're fun because they're he does them really well, and they lead to, like, actual, like, extended horror sequences, so it works. Um, but, yeah, this one is directed by Michael Chavez, who did uh, The Curse of La Llorona, uh, the other, like, the, the secret uh, Conjuring Universe movie, which is quite bad, and... Um, yeah, he's definitely improved as a director. Okay. I will say that because this movie isn't as bad as that movie. But yeah, it's just like James Wan, I think, was the star of the first two movies. And so that the reason, so he's not here. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer, you know? Yeah. I mean, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga make it work because they're just overqualified actors just being really good in these movies. They, and they, they, fit, they fit in these movies really well. I don't know. Like, yeah. they're, they're just really good in these films. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Conjuring 3. That's A Quiet Place 2. Um, both movies seem to, I mean, Quiet Place definitely seems like a lot of people are liking it. Conjuring 3 maybe is going to come and go, but Cruella seems like the one that has definitely stuck. Um, mm-hmm. Right out the gate, we saw a lot of chatter on social media, whether it was about the soundtracks, whether it was about um, Disney's uh, new first gay character. <laughs> yeah. They keep saying that every yeah. time. This is our, this is our new first, <laughs> uh, this is our first gay character. Openly gay. Yeah, they just just put it, put a new ribbon on it each time. <laughs> oh yeah, my god! Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, or or whether it was the thing I do want to dive into is the little video that kind of uh, kind of arose on Twitter there the day of its release. It just seems like it's stuck, and obviously already we have a sequel in the works to some extent. We don't know if that's just going to be a hundred and one Dalmatians remake or not, but it sounds like they they've got some plans here uh, for the future of this Cruella franchise, which is not something I would have expected. But so this movie comes out last weekend. It's decently successful, but the chatter online is definitely what we're going to dive into. So the first thing I saw with this movie, I watched it Friday night last weekend. 
opening day, right? And um, early in the day, I had seen the video online, uh, the, the scene there, we'll, we'll get into some spoilers here, but this is really in the prologue of the film. It's where uh, the mom dies via the Dalmatians <laughs> knocking her off the cliff, right? And it's not the greatest scene in the world, but in context within the film, I had no real gripes with the scene. I thought it was just a normal scene. I wasn't really picking at it too much, but it dropped on Twitter and it was only about 10 seconds long, and these weird-looking CGI dogs knocked this woman off uh, this cliff. And it doesn't look good. And that's pretty much what dominated the day one conversation for this movie, <laughs> how maybe bad it was. I don't know how I feel about that sort of uh, that sort of internet stuff. I mean, what, what, what are you feeling? Like, for me, it's, it's, it's a little bit... It's a pet peeve, I guess, of mine now, uh, seeing that sort of thing happen. Just really out of context, 10 seconds from the movie... It's just wrong. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with saying that I think the scene in context is not good. I I, just, I don't think it works uh, for like the CGI on the dogs. looks It, it gave me flashbacks to show dogs. It just was not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the um, it's like for you, like thinking of like the tragic backstory of the Cruella character. It's like I feel like like the parody version is her mom gets killed by like Dalmatians, you know, like it's just like, it's not really well thought out of a scene for me. It's pretty silly. Um, that being said, I'm, I agree with you where, uh, like the whole, what's put a scene online and like out of context and just show it and be like, LOL, isn't this weird? Like, that's not like, that's not helping the movie, you know, like watch it in context. And also like, right. Like you said, it came out, the day the movie came out, like that's not fun. Let people watch the movie, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, let them go actually go out and see that. Like what happened to the, actually like keeping stuff to yourself right. for like a few weeks. Right. You know, it's just, it's kind of lame, but yeah, the, I got show dogs. Senses <laughs> sure. and I made it, it, it made me cringe. <laughs> it does seem like, however, cause it's kind of funny out the gate. I was kind of nervous after seeing that video, how the online conversation was going to be around the movie. I thought maybe it would just kind of be awful. But it seems like by the end of that Memorial Day weekend and now into its second week running, uh, it seems like the conversation has turned and it seems like Cruella has won in the end, in my opinion. It seems like the internet has taken love this movie to an extent. I think there's a lot of people that do like it. Um, for me, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Costumes, obviously the best part of the movie. I think we always knew that was going to be the case. Emma Thompson, Emma Stone, very good dynamic duo there. Um uh, the screenplay in this film, not the greatest. I don't love the third act of the movie, but I thought it was fun. I thought it was good, and I like it more than I like The Lion King, right? So, I mean, it, it's a step up yeah. in that regard. There are, there are a lot of things better than the uh, live the remake <laughs> of The Lion King. I was about to call it the live-action one, but then I stopped myself because <laughs> I have standards, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, th I thought it was all right. I thought it was good, and it does seem like, though, that the Internet – turned by the end of the weekend and now everyone really does enjoy this movie um and a lot of weird things happen i mean this is just kind of a weird tidbit but i saw its letterbox score go up which is usually rare right movies start high mm -hmm. and they go down as time goes on this movie went up a point on imdb even i remember from its opening day to a week later it had gone up i was kind of baffled that you usually don't see that Movies start high, everyone who's excited to see it sees it, and then everyone else sort of sees it, it starts going down. But I saw it go up, and this kind of adds into what I'm saying. It does seem like there was a turning of the tide with the film to an extent. Uh, what was your thoughts on uh, on this movie? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I wouldn't call it like there's like a cult around this movie because it's, it's a Disney movie. It's far too popular for that. But like it seemed like people took that really weird like criticism, not even criticism, just showing clips and being like, LOL, this is weird. But they took that and people saw it and said, no, this movie's actually really fun, which I think is cool because there's also the weird conversation about like who is this movie for at the, when this came out, which I also think is weird. I think that speaks more to like someone's narrow assessment of what a movie can be. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who can like a movie like this. And it seems like it turned out that way. You know, a lot of people do like it a lot. So I think that kind of conversation is pretty limiting and just kind of just speaks to someone's own limited views of what entertainment can be and who it can be for. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I, do I like this movie? Uh, I don't know, but it's really, I watched it and was very engaged the entire time. Cause it's like you said, it's Emma Stone and Emma Thompson just being great for two hours and 15 minutes, which is, there are far worse ways to spend your time. Like that's, you just watch them and they're, they're really just like they have like pieces of meat and they're really hamming it up, you know, like they're just going really they are really just going nuts with these roles. And that part's really, really fun. And I think I agree with you. The screenplay is kind of a is kind of a mess. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those where it's a it's a it's a different definitely different for Disney. Right. Um, but I think we should kind of like temper like those like talks of like it's really not that all that different in the grand scheme of things. But in terms of for Disney, this is kind of like a wild departure. Right. You know? Right. I mean, one thing I did want to touch on one of the big marketing things or kind of one of the, I wouldn't even call it marketing, but one of the things that Twitter took to and just kind of people took to was that this was PG 13, the first Disney live action movie that's been PG 13. I didn't see the PG 13. I didn't see it. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't either. I don't know. I guess. Cause like, it's like signs of peril or like some weird I guess, MBA. but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think PG thirteen. I don't think this. I think this is. It's hard PG if it is PG or it is PG. It's, <laughs> it's hard, hard PG, hard but it's PG. not. I don't know if it's a PG thirteen movie. I've seen PG thirteen movies that are much, much darker. I mean, you think? I guess the Planet of the Apes trilogy is PG. That's PG thirteen, right? Yeah. Uh, even the Avengers movies, to an extent, there's violence there. There's maybe some a little bit of swearing here and there. This movie had none of that. Really, there's some violence, but it's very comical, as we see in that 10 second Twitter clip. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's not. I I don't see it as PG thirteen. That was kind of weird. Yeah, it's uh, it is quite an interesting movie to I guess talk about. I think that's why I'm so fascinated about it, by it because it's it is very very weird. Because like right, Craig Gillespie directed this movie. He did I Tanya. Great which, movie. Before that, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I do like that movie a lot, but I didn't realize that he did like Finest Hours. You remember that movie? Yeah, it was like the the Chris Pine boat movie. It's like a very yeah, straight down that, the middle yeah. Disney movie. Which so I didn't I didn't realize he had that in his back pocket. I was like, oh okay, so this Disney connection makes a little more mm-hmm. sense. But um, yeah, just a very weird idea to have Cruella kind of kind of come into form during the like the Brit punk rock revolution of what the 60s 70s it's it's also kind of weird because the prologue seems like it take, takes place in the like the 1800s but it also has like cars <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah 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 so, because that palace but that it's, big castle yeah it seems like it's like the 1960s and 70s because it's like that's when all the songs are from we'll talk about the soundtrack later i guess but um yeah it's it's a pretty standard you know rise 
kind of not really fall, but like rise, like rise into becoming this. I don't want to say a joker esque <laughs> character, but you know, like 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 your villain. It's your villain right, right, story. Right. You know, it's it's the Maleficent. We need to actually make this villain actually like sympathetic and pit them against someone who's even more deranged, you right? Know? Or make them misunderstood and all that. So, yeah, I don't know if that movie movie works in that sense because. I don't think it's fun to be like, hey, this person's mentally ill. Like, yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah. And that's kind of like the, the the extent of how they explore the Emma Stone character. But also it's it's a, it's also a weird thing because you wouldn't really expect this deep psychological study from a Disney movie. Like, I would never leave this movie and be like, this isn't Taxi Driver. How dare they <laughs> not explore this, like, anti-hero villain person enough. So it's 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 in that weird middle ground where... I can see where people would default to the "Hey, who is this for?" But because it's because it's like, hey, it's it's dark, but not dark enough. Um, I still don't. I I, just, I disagree with the premise in that sense. But it's just it is kind of odd, you know. It's it's out there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. I think it is fun to talk about, though. I think there is a lot here to talk about, and the soundtrack is one of those things. Not going to keep on it too much because we do have a very uh, special thing to do to jump into, but. Um, the soundtrack, what, what do you think? I thought it was too much at times. Just too many needle drops. Cut it a little bit. Oh, I hate, I hated it. It's my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah? I did not like it. Well, because I think we need to... There's a difference between good songs and a good soundtrack. Because like, right. yeah, all, those, all, the, all the songs are great. Like, I'm not going to be like, yo, Sympathy for the Devil. Awful, movie, awful song. Just the worst thing ever. Like, I'm not going to say that. It's a great song. And, the, and it goes for the rest of them as well. But... They use them. It's for yeah, like you said. There's a lot of them. There's so many needle drops, and it also it's like the most obvious choice for each time they're used. Like they use "Sympathy for the Devil." It's after Paul Walter Hauser has explained how to pronounce "Deville" for like the tenth time, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. The sympathy for the devil, and she's a, she's a villain now. Okay, I get it, <laughs> right? And it's that's and there's the one scene where they use the where they use feeling good and it's like her like strutting around and stuff like that. It's like okay, you're using the most obvious like choices ever and it really it bothers me. <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I I mean I get it. Like it's like I understand the other side of it where it's like this is a cool song that I really like and it's Emma Stone being awesome and really cool with costumes. So I can get the other side of it, but it just it just didn't it didn't work for me. Yeah, fair. Um let's jump in now to this week's uh Movie Babble Club pick, which was your pick, and that is uh, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, starring Adam Driver. Um, good movie. I enjoyed it. I'm going to let you take it away, though, since it was your pick. So, Patterson. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I picked Patterson, and I feel like I have no connection to Jim Jarmusch. Like, he's one of the, he's one of those auteurs that I'm like I know exists. I saw the dead don't die <laughs> when that came out two years ago. But that's really the extent of my knowledge with him. And it's, this is also one of those movies that I just bought on Blu-ray just because I don't know, I was on Amazon and it was on sale. I was like, okay, I'll add this to my, to my library. But um, yeah, it was, I feel like it was sooner or later I needed to dive into his films and I wanted to take this opportunity to like, to start with it. And um, yeah, I, I love this movie. I thought this movie is delightful. And it's one of those where I think someone it's very I think it's a very easy to mock movie because, right, it's one of those indie movies where like, quote unquote, nothing really happens, you know, and it's also about some dude who just like sits around and like writes poetry. And you, you could see like 
someone who doesn't really watch a lot of movies be like, oh, this, this bullshit. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this two hours of nothing? You know, but I think this movie is really terrific. And I really appreciate how, I mean, I can only speak to the two Jim Jarmusch movies I've seen, but he is really willing just, just to relax and like slowly move through each scene. Mm-hmm. And it's, we don't have to do some crazy, like, like unbelievable emotional set piece or anything like that. Like, no, just let stuff happen. Let it relax and let it un, let, let it just unfurl as it wants to go. And we'll move on from there. And there's something really like, not, not also relaxing, but also just something kind of peaceful about that. We're like, yeah, we're just kind of watching this kind of mosey on from scene to scene. It's kind of nice. Yeah. So I actually watched this about two months ago. So, so this, so I got to obviously see it again. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think probably, I mean, it's a movie, obviously it's very, as you said, not a ton happens, right? You kind of see the, the life of Adam Driver's character just in a, in a week, right? Um, I love the ending in the movie. I really love the ending of the Me film. Me too. Yeah. At the park, right? And uh, yeah. It, it, it just, it's, for me, a lot of the movie, I, I enjoyed it, I was into it, but that ending really was a nice kind of, uh, I guess, icing on the cake, cherry on top, bow, I don't know, but it was it was a good, yeah. really, really thoughtful ending. Yeah, I guess, so I guess we should actually set up what what does happen in the movie, but yeah, like you said, it's basically just Adam Driver's character, his name's Patterson, and he lives in Patterson, New Jersey, so... You can say he's a stand-in for everyone else in that town if you wanted to. Yeah. That's my that's my film student um, metaphor there. Um, but yeah, like he's a bus driver, and he just every single day is kind of a like a variation of the same day where he's going through his routine. He wakes up in the morning to see what time his watch uh, wakes him up, or what time he like is on his watch. He wakes up like somewhere around the same time every day, but not quite. And he goes, writes some poetry, drives the bus, listens to people's conversations on the bus, then goes home, goes to the bar, has, has a beer, and then the next day happens, you know? And that's kind of it. And um, I kind of do love the slight deviations in this movie where it's, I think the, the entire movie is all about, from, my, from how I see it, it's a lot about how, you know, a lot, a lot is happening in your life, even when you don't realize that nothing's happening, mm-hmm. you know? And those slight deviations are really good at that. Like there's the one night where the biggest thing that happens in his day is um, his wife makes quinoa. Like that's the big thing that happens that day. And it's, it will, first of all, like Adam Driver's reaction to that is like one of the funniest things I've seen. Like, it's just like a, it's like, it's like an, like a co, like a immediate, like, ew, we're doing that. Like that sounds awful. But he's also trying to be nice to his wife. Who's like trying new things yeah. and trying to find herself as well. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of little stuff like that. A lot of little character moments and a lot of just little changes every single day and how, um, how so much can happen, even though we're all stuck in our routines, right? Cause we do this pod every Sunday, Yeah, but a lot happens, you know, a lot happens and Monday to Monday to Sunday. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there is something, I mean, it's, there is something poetic about that, right? it's even outside of just him writing his poetry where it's, there is a lot of stuff happening and like you can watch the arc of his um, wife where it's like she's really trying to find figure out who she is right she's like always like painting stuff and like trying to be artistic and try new stuff and she's making cupcakes and she orders a a guitar out of nowhere you know (laughs) and Adam Driver is like each time he's like like I don't know if I 
agree with this, but like I want to support her and like do right by her. You know, it's like her their relationship is so good. But yeah, it's just a lot of people just trying to like figure their shit out without really like it ever coming to blows at all, which is really nice. Yeah, it's one big metaphor. Um, did you <laughs> one big metaphor? Did the score right? stick out to you at all? I, I enjoyed the score. I thought it was really good. Yeah, it's good. I thought because it's really cool too because it's often paired with him doing his poetry. Yeah. Right. And it's really cool. Cause Adam driver, the voiceover, he's like, he's reading it out as like, he's like, it's like, he's, he's writing, he's reading the lines as he would write it on the page where he like, there's like pauses where he's like trying to like think of the word to say yeah. or the rest of the phrase and stuff like that. It actually like seems like it's like a little stream of consciousness, but yeah, this, I thought the score was really good. It, it kind of creates this really nice, pleasant mood. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like a warm hug, but it's like it's very, it's very warm. Definitely, yeah. You know, certainly. Uh, good pick this week, Nick, and good podcast. Oh, what, I gotta oh, ask yeah. you, what Continue. was your favorite part? What was your favorite part of the, of the entire movie? Oh, you know, I gotta stick with that ending. That ending was great. The ending, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think anything could top it. I do love. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say love because it was a little uh, bad for him, but coming home to his uh, poetry getting kind of chewed up there by the dog. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny because that's like that's supposed to be like the climax, yeah. right? And you know, it, and it's just like it, it may yeah, not feel like a big moment because it does seem like an everyday sort of thing. I mean, it's not an everyday sort of thing. Your dog doesn't chew up things all the time, but it is. It doesn't seem that big, but when you're watching it, it hits you. You're like, damn, this guy's yeah. got chewed up that poetry. And it's really good because it's just you know the it's just life goes on, right? He has that conversation with the guy, and he's just he has. I feel like we all have like that shit like that where it's like, it's nothing like crazy. Right. Like that, like something bad happens to us, but like, you know, you're upset for a couple hours. Maybe you go outside, go sit by a waterfall. Maybe who knows, write some poetry, talk to a Japanese poet, who knows, but you know, it just things, it just life goes on from there. Monday starts, you go on with your life. And I think there's, there's something really nice about that. And I think it's, I think there's one other than the quinoa thing. I think my favorite part is the, um, is when the bus breaks down and it's, he's like, it's an electrical problem. And everyone's like, Oh, it could have, it could have exploded into a fireball. And it's, it goes to like this, like they take it to the extreme of what you would see in like some other movie. Yeah. And he's like, no, it's, it's okay. Like it, like they'll fix it. We'll get a new bus. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny. It makes me think of, um, have you ever seen, have you seen adaptation? No. Mm-mm. The movie? That it's really good. I really recommend it. There's one scene, really fam- famous scene in it, where um, Nick Cage's character is at like a writing seminar, and Brian Cox is giving this big seminar on how to be a screenwriter. And Nick Cage like asks him something about like, well, what if like he, they're talking about like li- like experiences you've had in your life, and he's like, well, what if I don't really have anything to write about or something like that? And Brian Cox goes on this crazy like expletive speech about how like crazy shit happens to people every day. And if you can't put yourself in that, then like go fuck off. Basically <laughs> is basically what he says. Yeah. And that took you back to that. It's funny. And it's funny. Cause this feels like the exact opposite of that, mm. you know, where it's like, yeah, no, like it's not sensational. Right. But, um, yeah. a lot, the, the Jim Jarmusch found a way to make it still like really strong and poetic in a way without resorting to that. I thought it was, it made me think of that immediately. Cause well, if you've seen the movie, you you know why, but it's it's really good. Yeah, it's on my list. It's one I've been trying to get around to for a little bit there. Uh, iconic Nick Cage because he's playing uh, 
Charlie Kaufman and uh, Charlie Kaufman's made up brother. I forget the name of it, but it's just like, it's basically just Charlie Kaufman messing in his own brain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As he does. Like all of his other scripts. Yeah. <laughs> As <right>. he does. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, good pick Nick this week. It was worth the Blu-ray purchase. I presume we both enjoyed it. Oh yeah. I'm in, I'm very happy with that. It's, you know, my, sometimes my impromptu, um, picks on Amazon just work out for me. Yeah. And this is another one of those. Uh, anyways, we will be <laughs> back obviously next week with another episode of the movie Bible podcast. You can check out all of our content on the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. But most importantly, moviebabble.com is where you head for all of our stuff. So we will be back next week. Thank you.